This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Harrogate is the home of the British Spa and Britain's premium natural source water. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by actress, filmmaker and women's health activist Mika Simmons to talk sex, smears and speaking out. So settle down, turn us up and get ready to join in with our conversation. you're all well and have had a lovely week. We are gearing up for International Women's Day tomorrow and this year's theme is Choose to Challenge and today's special guest is the perfect lady to have with us as she spent the last seven years challenging people's perception of women's bodies and women's health after sadly losing her mother to ovarian cancer at the age of just 54. She's an award-winning actress and filmmaker and founder of the Lady Garden Foundation charity and the Happy Vagina podcast. It is the fabulous Mika Simmons. Hi, Mika. Hi, Nan. Great start. Great start. Great introduction with a ping from the email. I hope you leave it in. (laughs) Don't you worry. We like to be as unfiltered as possible. And I'm sure in this chat today, we're going to be quite unfiltered. Unfiltered. um, Thank you so much for being with me today. As I said in our introduction, you know, it's International Women's Day tomorrow, um, which is an amazing day, I think, for us to kind of take stock of women's achievements. How how important is it to you that we recognize women on that day? Well, for me, because I've, as you've just said, I've been working for the last seven years campaigning around women's health. It's I've been on the rock face of it. So trying to get people to come to a breakfast to celebrate International Women's Day seven years ago was barely possible. Mm. No one wanted to come. The people that worked on the charity with me, they were like, what for? I've got so much to do. And then over the past seven years, it's it's got bigger and bigger to the extent that uh, two years ago when I hosted a breakfast, people were like, I've been booked for six months already to to kind of speak and and do celebrative things. And I think it's... I think that's an amazing, amazing gift that we've got as women that we have this day to celebrate the work that we're all doing and, and still talk about what needs to be done in the future. And, I, and you know, before the pandemic, we were moving towards International Women's Month. Mm. And I, that, that seems to have gone off the radar for this year's International Women's Day because people are really struggling and there's a lot going on. But one of the things that I have aligned myself to since the pandemic is bringing women's issues to the fore even more. I stepped up my game because I think we're in a period where it, 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 this is a dangerous period. Mm. Periods of... of, of great national trauma other issues that need to be focused on can be really sidelined and to a certain extent that's right because we're in a period of national trauma where we're trying to right size our nation and our nation's health however it would be an absolute you know tragedy to let all the work that women have done over the last 10 years to bring women's health and you know women's work issues to the fore just to go by the wayside 
Oh, I completely agree with you. And in, that's why it's so important to have platforms, you know, like yours, like what we're trying to do with the capsule, because if the government can't give it that attention, then it's, a, it's. I feel the responsibility then is down to us to kind of go, right, okay, well then we'll talk about it amongst ourselves and we'll get it out there. Because as you say, we can't afford to slip backwards. I mean, you know, it's it's so disheartening to hear that women and working women have, have lost out so much during this pandemic losing jobs you know having to juggle being made being put on furlough or being made redundant and juggling schoolwork as well as it's just so it's just so disheartening when you think how far we've come and then this pandemic to have kind of set us back so many years but you know obviously we are dedicated to moving forward and that is why tomorrow is going to be an amazing day and that you know we can all celebrate and and I do love the theme for this year as well you know choose to challenge like get out there and challenge people's perceptions and challenge the narrative I think it's such a great theme for this year do you agree yeah I do but I was also a bit like uh what's new <laughs> yeah yeah I do know what you mean like, we've kind of been doing this all along but but you know um uh, that that would be an arrogant thing for me to really deeply feel and think because i work within the movement and so therefore many of my daily conversations are around how we can make change for women but international women's day should give access to women who haven't found their voice yet or who might be struggling with a partner at home in in a, in a domestic situation and really not have a voice around that and just so these these choose to challenge kind of theme it may not be for me. It might be for someone who's more vulnerable than me and it might bring them closer towards having a voice and being able to speak up for themselves. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Now, as I said in my introduction, you know, your, your career, primarily you're an actress, you're a filmmaker and you began your acting career studying theatre studies and English in Leeds, um, in Leeds, which is my neck of the woods. And as a Somerset girl, how was that move for you moving up to Yorkshire? Well, I was desperate to go to drama school I mean just desperate and my father wouldn't let me so I don't come from a very affluent background we, we're, we're okay middle class and mostly we couldn't afford it and I think my father was quite frightened about the fees mm -hmm. and also wanted me to be sensible and, and I wasn't very sensible as a teenager so I, I can kind of see why he was trying to guide me towards being sensible because I was a little rebellious uh, so I, I went to lead slightly not resentful but slightly not really wanting to be at university mm. and I found Leeds quite harsh to begin with it's a it's a, you know the summers were very short yes but, but 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 then I really fell in love with the city and I suppose because I grew up in between Bath and Bristol which are two relatively small towns Leeds is a small town but with quite a cosmopolitan feel and I went when it was just changing I did mm. go you know that they were just opening the Harvey Nichols, and the the you know the the there were some really cool nightclubs like Back to Basics and Vague. Oh and, yes, Back yeah. to Basics. Yeah, oh, <laughs> those were the days. Yeah, <laughs> I used to. So I used to go to Vague, which was a which was a, a kind of a I guess it was a trans club on a Friday night. Go dancing till six in the morning, and then go and teach drama to kids on Saturday morning. <laughs> So I had a good time. And then my course at Leeds, we were, I did English and Theatre Studies and there were only 12 of us on the course. And we were based in a church across from the English Literature Department. And it was wild. I mean, we just made theatre. We made theatre. 
anything in my going back in my second year I just decided to put a play on and they gave me access to absolutely everything I needed and I did a Sam Shepard play which was a series of love poems mm. and we were wild with it we just it was really anarchic and so I really fell in love with it and then it obviously has a, a great uh, the West Yorkshire Playhouse I worked at the West Yorkshire Playhouse with Jude Kelly oh, and Kay Magson was there yeah. casting and Matthew Walchers was the associate director under Jude so actually I had a really fantastic experience there even though I kind of went a little bit like stompy stompy I want to be in London at RADA <laughs> I mean you did obviously go off to drama school after that you know and, and have like I said forged this incredible career now but your brother is actually Keir Simmons the journalist and news correspondent and something that really struck me was the pair of you are really clearly drawn to telling people's stories in, in, very, in wh whichever guises whether that's as a correspondent or as an actor or as an activist I mean do you think that's part of your upbringing like what was your home life like well we're Irish and the Irish are great storytellers mm -hmm. so it's possible that it's something that comes through our family line but actually I would say we're both interested in making change so I fell in love with the theatre when I was young because I could see and film and film because I could see that it was a way to change the way someone felt about the world or themselves and I think most actors get into the industry wanting to be in that level of highbrow production where they're actually really impacting people. The majority don't. You end up doing stuff that doesn't have that level of impact. Or it may, it may just change the way someone feels. Just, just going to see a show is, is, as we all know right now, it would just yeah. be great to see any show, yeah. <laughs> any bad show. And with Keir as well, I would say the same thing, uh, speaking on his behalf, that actually he, was, he had ambitions to be a politician before he found journalism at Goldsmiths. And he, I think he is a, is a bit of a warrior like me. I think he wants to help people. So, and that's really, our, both of our parents were change makers. My mom was a feminist and my father was very active in the feminist movement as well. And they both did quite a lot of work in terms of equal opportunities in the work that they did. So really campaigned for a better life for people. I mean, what an incredible thing to have your dad as part of that movement. You know, it's so important. It's one of the things I was going to speak to you about a bit later on, actually, is how important it is to have men at the heart of these conversations that we're discussing, you know, not to alienate guys from women's health discussions. You know, it's really important that they are very much at the centre of it as well, because, you know, brothers, fathers, lovers, anything, they have to be just as educated as, as us, don't they? Well, I don't think you can have freedom for one gender and not the other. We've proved that, haven't we? So, so if we don't all do it together and, and, and fight and work towards liberation, equality and freedom for every single human being, not just gender, but across the world, then no one will ever really be free because the ties that bind work in both directions. Yeah, completely. Um, after after drama school, you know, you went on to have notable success in your acting career, appearing in dramas such as Unforgotten, Channel 4's BAFTA winning Falling Apart and Berlin Film Festival winner Balcony. However, in 2014, you added another huge area to your work um, as you set up the Lady Garden Foundation, which um, was founded after you sadly lost your mum to ovarian cancer, as I said in the beginning, at just 54. I mean... Tell me about that period of your life and, you know, being galvanised to set the foundation up. Well, I was, I was only 27 when we lost mum. So I, 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 was, I was very ill-prepared for it. And I just started working as an actor and I was, um, I was starting to fly. You know, I think 
youth, we, we create with our intention in our youth. You know, I love the Gloria Steinem quote, because dreaming is a form of planning. Mm. And I think when we're younger, those dreams really do give us the access to planning in a way that as we get older and life gets more hectic, sometimes we can lose that kind of um, intention work that we do when we're younger. And I, you know, I just done a really big uh, period drama. I had an amazing agent and I was, I was flying. I was off and running. I'd been to Saint Tropez for the first time that summer with a, a group of friends. You know, it's just that moment in Yay. your life when you were like, Yay! <laughs> yeah, it was a really, and, and then to, 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 to go home and have mum tell me that she had stage four ovarian cancer was, you know, it, 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 it was a life-changing moment that I w- will never recover from. Mm. Also, she, bless her, she, um, she was such a strong woman that she absolutely didn't think that it was going to take her. So it was nine months and it was, and it was very harrowing because not only were we losing our mum and Kira and I tagged teamed and nursed her. She was very frightened and she didn't really want too many other people around her. So it was only friends and family. So we really stepped up and she, you know, she, she didn't accept the fact that it was happening. So I think, you know, I, I just, I wonder what it would, my dad is still around, thank God, yeah. touching all the wood. But I just wonder what it would be like if if she hadn't resisted it. I, I completely support the fact that she did. She wanted mm. to live. She was not ready to die. But it meant that that period of time was really, really harrowing to watch somebody be so distraught that it was apparent that that they were going to die. And... Actually, she was put on a medication, which was a trial, which we were very excited about. And she was given the all clear. And she went to America to see some friends. And by the time she got back three weeks later, she was completely, their words, riddled with cancer. Oh, God. And um, she died quite soon after that. But those sorts of disappointments, the shock that you get from them, that you, you know, you've spent the last seven months wondering if your mum's going to make it, you're told she is, and then really almost immediately you're told again that she's not. And that that was a lot for my system. And, and one of the things that I've understood as I've grown into the grief and allowed myself to process what really happened during that time is nobody, nobody else was losing of course, there's a few people around you who, who may have lost a child or, or, or a sibling or, or a parent, a, a couple, but mostly at that age, no one has lost in that way. So no one had a vocabulary to help me talk about it. So I just shut down. I went completely mute. I was in therapy at the time, post-drama school, obviously. That's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like par for the course. So I was in drama school, but I... I, I in therapy rather, but I, I, I wish now I'd got bereavement counselling. A girlfriend of mine, a dear friend of mine, she, at, at the same age gap, so 15 years after losing her dad, she went back for bereavement counselling and she said it was like nothing else she'd ever had before. Mm. So she'd also had counselling, but that actually there's something about bereavement counselling that it brings you into line with your understanding of life and death. And, and, now, I know this sounds crazy, but I, even at that age, I just never even imagined that she'd go. 
oh my god why would you though do you know what i mean she that's it's 54 such a young age and as you said you're you're in this amazing dream and you've you know been in saint tropez and this it, it wasn't a reality do you know what i mean and i suppose as well stage four is obviously very advanced and if mm. it was you know such a short amount of time you know nine months i expect that again you didn't have that long period of time to kind of grieve somebody's passing or see them like for a, a longer period of time and that must have been so shocking i we lost um our granddad um over 10 years ago now but i i was i was ready at the time i'd seen him suffer so much and i was ready to let him go to sleep now i can't imagine what i would have been like earlier and if it had been such a short amount of time like what you went through and mm. there'll be so many people like you who they they there's a diagnosis and only months later and there'll be people like you now even in during this pandemic where you know they had loved ones and two weeks later they went into the hospital and didn't come home and as you said trying to kind of deal with those emotions it's very very difficult it's very very the shock we're not we're not given tool we're not given we're not we're not really we're not taught how our nervous systems work it's not something they teach us at school and they should because actually when you have a shock like that you go into fight or flight that's your animalistic side actually what we're doing a lot in the in in modern world is freeze so so you so a, a severe fight or flight you come out of you can't stay in it because the level of intensity of adrenaline that your body has to use to be in fight flight you kind of have to come out of it but fight or flight was a system in our body that was created in for prehistoric times when yeah. there were tigers to fight right so like you had actually somewhere to put all the adrenaline what we do now is we just freeze and i would say that i froze for almost 10 years until i started the lady garden foundation actually it was it, it one really my healing started and i was able to find the space to understand myself better and move through what had happened to me by starting to take action and helping other women. I don't think I really started to heal until then. I think I was, even though it was 10 years, I think I was still in shock. I, I can, again, completely understand that, that that you would feel like that. Taking action is such a powerful um, thing to do and it does help move you forward because it helps you process that feeling of being out of control to suddenly kind of have a little bit of control back. Now, you know, going back to your mum, did she talk about any symptoms or because what what was your understanding of ovarian cancer at that time? I didn't have any understanding of it at all. I don't think I even really knew what an ovary was, mm. honestly. Like, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I'm sure if someone sat me down and asked me, I could have told you, but it definitely wasn't something that I was thinking about a lot. And I was away at drama school and then living in London. It was my first year out of drama school. And I came home a couple of times and I remember mum sitting in the bath because she had severe cystitis. And she had a new boyfriend. So my, my father and my mother had split up maybe three years before she died. And she had a new boyfriend. So she was having a lot of sex. Mm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which was a thing as well to try and kind of get my head round. Yeah. Um, you know, she put it all down to the fact that she was more sexually active. She went to the doctors. The doctors told her that she had fibroids. 
and and fibroids are something that are very normal and, and and can just pass sometimes you need need some work done on them but often they just pass so she did know that there was something wrong but she did also ignore it and there wasn't very much campaigning back then around gynecological cancers to be honest with you Natalie, at that stage there wasn't a huge amount of breast cancer awareness people were still saying the c word and whispering cancer as though you could catch it if you said it out loud as though as if you said cancer to someone you'd get it too you know yeah very much so and and as you said the having experienced what you did and then having that time in between you know being able to then take action and set up the foundation you know tell me about that that moment and kind of what your mission was from then so I'd been thinking for quite a long time that I wanted to do something campaigny. I, I hadn't ever thought about fundraising. I, I don't think I am the best fundraiser. The other women on the board, the founding board of Lady Garden Foundation, are definitely better fundraisers than me. But I, my political voice had started to come through. I think as I was thawing out and getting over the shock of losing my mother, my voice as, as, as a feminist was coming back. And I wanted to do something that would really educate women. And I was very disappointed that that nothing had changed in terms of awareness around symptoms for all women's cancers, definitely for all gynecological cancers, and for me, ovarian cancer as, as a primary. It just transpired that my next door neighbour in the house that I'm still in now, she, she you know, was the, working at the Royal Marsden. She was finishing her dissertation, uh, her PhD with Avon into breast cancer. I told her that I'd lost mum to ovarian cancer. And she said, I'm going to focus on that that's the thing that i want to change for women i want to change the future of ovarian cancer and we were stood out in the hallway when it happened and i i don't know it's just like the synchronicity of it is really amazing so she asked my brother and i if we would do something for her and and what she really needed was some money kira and i talked about how we could do that and at the time it was a period of time when charity fundraising was going very much towards specific so we would there were people saying your money will buy this incubator like at, at great mm-hmm. ormond street it was becoming a time when people were no longer happy or willing to just funnel money into charities willy-nilly i think it was around the time that, that the internet was exploding so people were being able to see where their money was going not yeah. not visually but i think the naivety of the individual that we just kind of quite blindly would give money to a charity and also there have been some terrible scandals so people were starting to ask and demand where does my money go and so this thing about attaching this is what we will spend your money on was quite big so kira and i started to talk about with susie dr susanna Banerjee, my next door neighbor wonderful woman and also you know lead gynecologist uh, at the royal marsden we started talking about what we could fund for her that would 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 make the greatest change and the things that we were we were talking about at, at the time were similar to incubators kind of beds and, and things like that and then it became quickly apparent that my brother wasn't going to have the time to do it as a, as a journalist for he was at itn then and now he's at nbc but he the the as you know the if a story comes in he has to go <laughs> you're off yeah yeah so one day a woman called claire beckwith actually got in touch with me about a product that she was she was interested in telling me about and i found out in that meeting that her mother had died quite recently of of cancer of a gynecological cancer 
and I said to her would she want to work on the project with me and she said absolutely yes and that she'd ask her sister Tamara and um, I had known that really really great girlfriend of mine Chloe Delavines had had precancerous cervical cells so I asked Chloe and I'd also I'd known that Jenny Halpin who is at the moment our trustee chair had had some some gynecological concerns so I asked her she worked in the PR world it seemed like a good decision and you know my brother got pretty much sidelined <laughs> in come the, here come the, here here come come the girls, girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I we were like that. an amazing team you know I mean at the beginning it was like everybody brought something something different to the table uh, I worked incredibly hard on the project for five years I did it for three years without taking an income from it at all and then I gave up a small business I had and I, I worked I worked incredibly hard on it Natalie I put absolutely everything I could into it and I was available for the project 24 7 and I don't think I would have done if I hadn't had what I call the god nods so you know people say oh it must be easy because you've got Chloe on your board but actually that's not true there's there's a lot of people fighting for stuff I think the timing was really essential we were right on the cusp of kind of this new wave of feminism so now we probably use the word vagina we couldn't have said that back then and have got the the kind of rise that we did so we called it lady garden so that we could just invite people in and then talk about the real anatomy we had to do that back then. So I think we, we, it was the timing, really. It was an amazing group of women, a lot of hard work and, and the timing. Were, you did. You worked so hard across that five years and raising the profile of the foundation. I mean, you, you know, you garnered kind of support from people like Alexa Chung and Margot Robbie. And I think probably, you know, were you those people adding their voices to your campaign you know how did you feel about that given that you were the one you know working so hard and then to to elevate it in that way it was so exciting at the time we were really lucky uh, jenny halpin was friends with uh and the the owner of a, of a big department store who made these these uh sweatshirts saying lady garden for us and you know at just I think we were probably one of the first social media campaigns that kind of went a bit viral and it was really exciting I'd I'd never I'd never done anything like that before in my life I'd just been sent scripts and said lines and done what I was told and you know and it was an incredibly exciting time and really fun and you know they sold out and no one thought they would and it was just it was a really exciting time and it, and you know the women that supported it I believe every single one of them from the women that you just mentioned all of those uh, celebrities who supported it through to every single woman that bought it or just talked about it actually created Lady Garden. That, that was a moment in time where actually women did something together and created that together because it was a, a melting pot that you couldn't, if you'd taken one of those elements away, it wouldn't have worked in the same way. And it, that was a beautiful thing. And, you know, the message is so powerful because I had no idea there were like five gynecological cancers. I had no idea about that. And that when I visited the, the foundation website, I was just blown away by even still now, you know, obviously you've, you've worked tirelessly and campaigned, but even still now, there's things that I, I just looked at and went, 
I didn't know that. I didn't know you could get cancer of the vulva. I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know things like that. And you know, people didn't talk about things like that. And the fact that you and I are having this conversation now is a brilliant thing. Um, and that does bring me on to you know the Happy Vagina podcast, which is <laughs> the best thing. Ever. I love it so much. Honestly, my mummy. So I just have to tell you this. I don't normally use the word vagina, right? So this whole thing for me, this last few years with developing my business, my mum's going to listen to this and be like. Oh my god I finally got her to say things like that because my mum's very open and I've always been quite shy and and so for me this your platform has allowed me to kind of really embrace it and be bold about it because it's helped me kind of claim claim it back if that makes sense you know and I'm sure that was kind of a lot of what you set out to do I definitely wanted to be working in a in a wider space to just cancer and I felt that um, as, as a filmmaker and an actress, I was the right person to be doing that. And I wanted to start coming a little bit back to, so I'd worked really hard for five years, basically running a charity. I don't know how to run a charity. I still don't know today. <laughs> but I was like, how can, how, can I, how can I bring back my creativity into this voice that I found? And, and I wanted it to be very empowering. But I think one of the key things for me also was a deep respect of the individual. So I think that's a really beautiful thing that you're shy. And, and what I saw, one of the things that I saw that was happening was that there, with the feminist movement, was that there was a, a boldness that was intimidating to other women. And I feel very protective of, of, of all women and that women and men should be able to sit comfortably in their own skin and to dig really deep and work out what their truth is and be able to say that to the world. This is my truth. You know, you have to look underneath the hood. Pardon the pun. That's not where I'm, that's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. Well, I was prepared for anything, so go we on. Can, we can. But I think you know you have to work out if you're shy. I think you have to work out if it's if it's if it's steeped in shame, and if it's steeped in shame, I believe that you should look at it and do something about it. And that doesn't mean that you have to walk around naked. It means look at look at, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it means it means it means challenge interestingly for international women's day it means challenge yourself look be very become someone who understands yourself don't sit in shame it's so bad for us sitting in shame so with the happy vagina my intention absolutely 100% was to try and make sure that people felt they could they could approach it it was it was inclusive and that there were all sorts of different voices going on and that it was an encouragement to become yourself and and in that lies freedom completely i mean i love that again that you have a cross section of people you know you do have guys on there as well and they're they're talking about their experiences and you do have experts um and sex experts and as you were saying to me earlier you know you've you've had a chat with a feminist pornographer which again again the fact even for me in this moment like i said my friends will listen to this and be like that is not the girl that we know but i'm really proud of how far i've come in in terms of 
being able to be open about these subjects because even two years ago I couldn't bear anybody talking about periods now I'm like let's talk about it and I'm constantly talking with my friends about women's health or women's you know issues reproductive issues because I think it's really important that we do share these stories because we to feel there are so many parts of the world where these subjects are so taboo and you know we should be able to kind of lift the lid on these conversations and you've attracted you know amazing fans from across the world including including the brilliant Gwyneth Paltrow who I absolutely love and she's a huge advocate for you know sex self-love the fact she's got a new vibrator out with the meme which I'm obsessed I'm obsessed amazing (laughs) and you know again like for your your conversations you I just think it's amazing the cross-section of women as well that you're able to reach because mm. as you say a few years ago your platform probably wouldn't have necessarily got the elevation because we've moved so far forward though that we are having these discussions and I mean how does that make you feel? I, I absolutely I'm, I'm obsessed with my own project is that bad? <laughs> you should be I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I find it really difficult not to start work (laughs) I'm like I mean I'm still actually you know I've still got an amazing amazing agent and I'm still going up for loads of acting jobs and I've directed two shorts now so I've got that part of my career but the happy vagina brings me such an immense amount of joy and having women internationally support it is it's kind of blown my mind a bit I'm I I'm I have to pinch myself that it's happening. Not, not, I mean, obviously having, I'm also a huge fan of Gwyneth. I think she's extraordinarily brave. I think that she could have easily, I mean, you're going to win an Oscar. Yeah. You know, she's absolutely stunning. She's got a great bod. She's got this amazing lifestyle with, back then with you know when she started goop with with a, with an international rock star mm. you, you just don't need to be the person that goes and talks about vagina she could easily have just stayed at home and she's i think she's brave and i get very cross i actually get incredibly cross with the um negative press that she gets i think it's spiteful and it's bullying because she is creating a forum where women may be able to identify she's not going to be identifiable for everyone she's just Mm. not but she is someone who potentially could have been quite reserved and and isn't and that's brave really really brave but I also I love the fact that we've got an international following so we've got I've got I get I mean people send me text messages and dms they slide into my dms I reply to everything I love it they slide into my dms in languages that I don't even know what they are I have to put them into bay I have to copy and paste it be like where is this country from and I just that makes me really excited to have a global community of women who and and they feed back as well like I don't feel like the happy vagina is mine Nobody take me to court. That's not, that's not an open invitation for lawsuits. <laughs> no, it, but it is a collective. And this is why I'm saying, you know, because you have obviously an online community and, and, and the podcast, women in all areas of the world can listen in. You know, you can't stop somebody from listening in. So if they need that education and they possibly might not get it at school or in their home life, they can listen into you and choose to listen into your platform and get that education about their bodies, about what's happening. And that is so empowering to be able to reach that many young women, young men, girls, boys, who just to be able to provide them with that education that they're probably not getting is such an incredible tool. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. We do also have to remember that there are parts of the world where, for example, the internet just recently has been taken down 
mm-hmm. in China. And in India, you just were talking about, about period shame. In India, women are still not allowed to... So they can listen to my podcast, but in India, when they're menstruating, they're not allowed to cook or, or pray or study. So, so it, it's, for me, I'm as excited as, as, as we're discussing. And I also feel politically, it's actually still a very important project. So there's my excitement for the women that are already free. And then I just feel like there's so much more work to do, Natalie, because people, women, women and men globally are still not equal and not free and it's not okay it's not okay it's not what god wanted for us yeah your point there about when we're talking about liberation and being able to talk about sex and being able to talk about again self-love you know masturbation people didn't talk about this thing and especially not in the mainstream and i i think it's it's really important there was an amazing scene in um, little fires everywhere with reese witherspoon and she was at the book club and they said you've never seen your your vagina she was like no she was (laughs) really like you know that scene and then she's laughing she goes up to the bathroom and she starts having a look and she's laughing her head off but i loved that scene in that particular drama series because i just thought again pushing the boundaries, getting it into the mainstream, yeah. getting people to ask questions. Because if we don't know our own bodies, then we don't necessarily know when something's wrong. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that is, that's the overriding message in everything I do is if you don't know yourself, your body, your mind, how can you know if there's something wrong? Yeah. I mean, going back to um, Amika George and, oh, sorry, no, actually, I just have to pull you up on this one because this is an amazing thing that I read that you wrote for Grazia. That, <laughs> Only 2.5% of publicly funded research is pledged to reproductive health and that there is five times more research into erectile dysfunction, which affects only 90% of men, than premenstrual syndrome, which affects 90% of women. I could not believe this gender health like gap. It was just unbelievable. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. So those are just a couple of statistics. There's a long list of statistics. I have just started a campaign with Nimco Ali. So Nimco Ali and I are co-chairs of a board, the Ginsburg Women's Health Board, which we named after Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is potentially a bit, you know, I mean, she's an American, but we thought we'd adopt her. She, I'm sure wherever <laughs> she is, she appreciates it. And we are working towards closing the gender health gap. The gender health gap is in place and part of our lives it's terrible in the uk it's terrible in other parts of the world too but you'd think in the uk where actually women are pretty liberated it wouldn't be but it's terrible and the reason is is that women aren't included in scientific research and the reason they're not included in scientific well you know i i we could be angry i'm not really into smashing the patriarchy like what you're talking Mm. about is a system a system that was put in place that has been oppressive for women we can smash it. Yes, we definitely need, I would say we need to right size it. <laughs> yes, that's a nice way of putting it. And we, and, 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 it, and it does need to change, but I think that there needs to be a tenderness and an understanding of what has gone before us. So one of the reasons why women were not included in scientific research is because we are the ones that bring life into the world. And there was a experiment that was done or some scientific research that was done where pregnant, it had a, a devastating effect on the future of women's ability to get pregnant. So then the medics decide that they won't put women in. So, you know, I mean, that's just one example. Uh, There there are also some devastating facts about 
only male mice being used to test things. So there is definitely a genuine Im imbalance in the way that we come to providing statistics on 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 diagnosing illness because that's one of the main issues is is how things are diagnosed women's issues aren't diagnosed properly they're not fast-tracked well enough and then the medications aren't ready to fit our bodies because they're tested on men so those are the three kind of main areas that create the gender health gap and we could bash the past or we can go that's what it was and let's do something about it now so nimco and i are are doing something about it now and, and we're just going to try and make as much noise as possible to make sure again that the that the government stay focused on on their pledge that they made last international women's day to help close the gender health gap to provide better health care for women and and all women we're working very very much at an nhs level this is this is fundamentally about women who really need the help I mean, you're absolutely right, because I've talked a lot about this on this podcast, a lot, because it's something that I'm really passionate about. But, you know, in terms of research and in terms of understanding women's reproductive health, and we get taught so much about puberty, so much about pregnancy, and then we have the perimenopause, which so many women know nothing about, and then you might hear a little bit more when you hit the menopause. But the perimenopause kind of phase for me... I'm so angry that I'm not prepared because it will happen to me in like the coming years. And I feel so cross that I've already got friends of mine that are complaining of, um, you know, they're telling me that their mood swings are becoming different as they're approaching into their 40s or they're in their mid 40s and their bodies are slightly changing. But they've been diagnosed of, of having depression, put on antidepressants. I find it so it makes me so cross that there is not enough out there about this next phase of life, which then kind of adds to that idea and that stigma that once you reach a certain age you're invisible how invisible. do you feel about that invisible i mean i do think that is kind of what what can happen i feel i think i'm excited for women in the sense that there are strong statistics to show that women are now having their best time in their 50s so i'm grateful that i'm living in this time where we can sit here and talk about peri and menopausal periods in our lives and that you know women like andrew mclean and meg, meg matthews mm -hmm. the work they're doing is just charging forwards and leading the way for us to not be uneducated if you if you want to educate yourself and there's also a lot of work being done government level in terms of adding these things to school curriculum so i guess how i feel about it is i'm hopeful uh but i suppose i'm i'm kind of in the middle of it every day and i've got people around me talking about it so i do know that change is happening and coming i i think the thing that makes me most sad is that we can put a man on the moon but we don't have the right test and the, and the, and even that and even that we can that we can create a virus for a pandemic quite rightly so quickly but that these this 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 period of time for women the menopause is not diagnosed properly i went i went i was having some uh, irregular periods and um some mood swings uh, actually just before the pandemic i wasn't feeling myself and it turns out i had a, a bacterial infection so there was something going on but it wasn't perimenopause but i I just remember going to see them. I was told to go and see this particular doctor and they just gave me a standard prescription of, of progesterone and estrogen. And I haven't taken it actually, because I'm like, I'm not, you know, unless you, you thoroughly research me, do my bloods, look at absolutely everything that's going on in my body and give me a diagnostic that is 
deeply suited to me and what's going on in my life. Unless you do that, I'm not going to start putting drugs in my body. I'm just not. You know. I, again, I completely agree with you. I've I've had friends that have been prescribed antidepressants because they've been told that oh you're depressed and these women are not depressed they're like Mm. isn't it I find it very odd that all of the you know every time that these moments happen to me it happens to be mid-cycle yeah and it's the same every month yeah yeah and yet they they'll voice that to the doctors and that's just not being heard yeah I find that so frustrating I mean we've spoke to Dr Larissa Corder who's an amazing fertility doctor yes um, about this on the podcast last last year and she was just saying we need to campaign more we need to get out there you know we kind of need I was like, when you hit 35, you should be given a leaflet, a pamphlet to say you need to go in for this, this, this and this, you know, never mind waiting until you're 50 or whatever it is. I I want to know in our mid 30s so that just as you would prepare your body if you were hoping to get pregnant, I want to know about these things now. Um, I agree with you, though. I am hopeful about the the younger generation because you do have amazing people like Amika George, who is campaigning to end period poverty. And I do feel hopeful. Um... And I, it's, it's really interesting to hear that you do feel the same, that we are coming into a new phase. It just my attitude towards life is, is you, if you count your blessings, that's how more blessings get made. I just, there's definitely a time and place for anger. And I think that when things are really wrong and people are being bullied or uh, the system is bullying and squashing a particular tribe or type of human being, then sometimes anger is appropriate to make change and necessary to make change. But mostly, I kind of feel very strongly that what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said was right, which is that fight for the things you care for, but do it in a way that people will come with you. Mm-hmm. And this is an exciting time for, for everyone. We can sit here and be cross about the fact that, doc, you know, that women weren't allowed to be doctors for all those years, and so therefore our medical system has been created by men, blah, blah, blah. Well, so what? It happened. It yeah. happened. It happened. So what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to make change? And and actually, I don't believe that men want to keep it there. There's this kind of like weird perception that somehow they're, they're the antichrist, that they want to keep us in this kind of oppressive position. I think the men quite, are quite up for maybe staying at home a bit more in equality. For them as well, you know, it's been very oppressive, the system. The system has been very oppressive for men too. You know, that the alpha male, that the male who has to go out and provide, which is the antithesis to the woman that must stay at home. So I, I, I do feel hopeful and I do feel mostly that if you want to campaign and you want to be an activist, the best way to do it, again, unless you're really on the rock face, the best way to do it is to do it in a way that people feel like they can join you and that you're including people and that it's an intelligent, insightful conversation that inspires people rather than makes people feel bad about themselves because maybe they did think that a year before, you know? Yes, completely. And that, as you said then, I love the idea of it's something that, you know, I'm very open with my husband. We talk an awful lot and I think it's so important to include him all the time with like what's going on with my body and everything because I just think it... That, that knowledge is power ultimately and you know if he's aware of, of of me and I'm aware of him that creates for a much better relationship and you know we're educating a young eight-year-old boy as well and so equally I want want to raise a young man that you know when he has a partner or whichever he he's open yes. and he's understanding and that's yes. kind of what we want yes but also Natalie a friend of mine 
I suppose it must have been International Women's Day last year. It was last year. Her son was invited to Wembley. There was a big day at Wembley. It was an Earth Day, I think. So it wasn't an International Women's Day, but it was around that time. And she told me that this young man came home devastated because all of the, the, of the chat on stage and all of the kind of like cheering from this, this enormous stadium full of young people, of children, was about girl power. Oh. And he was frightened and he felt left out. And, and, and to me, I'm like, what's the point in that? That's not, that's, that's not freedom. As I said, when we, when we started this conversation, that's just swinging the other way. You know, this is, a, this is a time to raise children to be, as you are with your son, to be deeply, deeply respectful of human beings around them. You know, and the individual. Ask people questions. See what they're interested in. Don't just assume. Let people be who they are at the very deepest level. And I, and I really hope that because of women like you raising your son in the way that you are, that that will be the future for us in this country. I, I do. I really hope so as well. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's very high up on my agenda. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, the podcast and your charity are extremely important to you alongside your acting work. But what is next on the agenda for The Happy Vagina? What, what, where are you wanting to see this grow to? Oh, it's so exciting. Well, we're just recording season three. So we've booked all the guests in for that. And we've got some amazing people coming on. We've got Amica George. And oh, as I, amazing. Yeah. And a, and, 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 a, and a female feminist pornographer, Swedish, called Erica Lust, who the, it's just an amazing episode. And uh, Nimco Ali is going to come on and talk about FGM. It's something that I feel so important. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of starting to record that. We've got some really other exciting guests that I can't say yet coming on. And then, and we're just sort of thinking about how to grow and where we want to be in a year's time because I'm only a year old. So actually we started a year ago and I feel, I knew that it, I knew there was something there because again, a bit like with Lady God and the God nods have been happening. You know, I say, can I talk to you about this? And people just say yes. And you know, it's like, that's how you know. Mm-hmm. If you get too many no's, you start thinking maybe you're on the this wrong track. This is not right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to slay in the, slay in the wrong lane. Yeah. So, so I knew that, but I think a year in, I've gone, I've landed and I've gone, okay, this project works. People love it. I love it. What can we do? So Olivia, who works with me on it, and I are just having conversations and we're talking about campaigns and different things and really thinking about what, what, we, what we can do to help others what we can do to help others uh we are going to definitely be bringing out a couple of more so i had the coming soon pants <laughs> yes last year <laughs> so amazing for last year and there's a couple more cheeky products like that which again the money just goes back into the community so i don't get paid for anything on the happy vagina and i'm really happy with that at the moment i'm just basically giving all of my energy to it and any any money from sales of products like those we put back into the community to work out what it is we can do to help women be more aligned with their true self and freer so yeah I love it. I, I'd like to see you out on the road as well at some point. That would be interesting if we're allowed. Well, people keep asking if, if I could take it into schools and we, we have had conversations around it. But the truth is, is that I enjoy the, the Instagram being, the Instagram's quite rock and roll. Mm. And I don't think I want to, I mean, just literally two weeks ago, I think Zoella got her contract taken away with the education system because she talked about, she put a vibrator on her 
on her on her website yeah. and i and that confirmed my feeling that this actually is a project for 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 adult women mm-hmm. so from from i'd say from 15 up we're not doing anything that's that's offensive or or that a mother would not want her daughter to learn from us rather than her but i'm not sure we're going to go into the education and i've got a book deal so i'm in the middle of writing the happy vagina book amazing <laughs> yeah oh, yeah it's so brilliant do you yeah. have any idea of dates when that will be out at the moment, it's it's in for June 2022. So oh, amazing! Yeah, oh, yeah, Congratulations! Yeah. That's such Thank fabulous you. news. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. It. I mean, whatever. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. But I've said it. It's out there. It's out so there. You can pre-order from there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pre-order. Yet. <laughs> you've got to to write it yeah um but before we you know have to finish up today I've just caught the time before you have to finish up you know I want to know from you what are your top tips for a happy vagina ah my top tips gosh masturbation (laughs) yes really know your body so be accepting of your body as it is and don't hide from it you know, it does change. There are different smells, there are things are going to go wrong, particularly if you're sexually active, if you have more than one partner, not necessarily even at the same time. And just really allow yourself to be present and uh, not full of shame around, around that. And then actually my third tip is eat well, which I, might, I know might sound like a really obvious thing, but I think that our bodies really... Uh, and our and our gynecological area really respond well to a really good sustained clean diet and I think that's 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 my number three but number one is definitely (laughs) self-pleasure yes mum can you believe I had this conversation today (laughs) (laughs) Mika it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for your time it's been amazing ladies you heard it here if you're not already acquainted then get to know your vagina I hope you've enjoyed being with us today and that you're able to take away some really helpful advice if you'd like to know more about the happy vagina community and podcast then please head to www.thehappyvagina.com you can also follow the lady garden foundation at www.ladygardenfoundation.com for more information on gynecological cancers if you'd like more well-being fashion and beauty then as always you can visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting our in conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels on youtube do leave us your rates and reviews please whack those five stars on if you can it's always amazing to read them and to see your lovely comments if you're a social butterfly you can also catch us on instagram and facebook at official capsule I will be back next week with another very special guest. So all that's left for us to say today is have an amazing International Women's Day tomorrow and goodbye. So it's goodbye from Mika. Thanks for having me, Nat. This has been an amazing opportunity to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And goodbye from me, guys. This episode of The Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes. Perfect for healthy hydration.